If you have not gotten the message yet in six weeks, I believe, Dr. Henry, six weeks through our message series called You Belong to God on God and the Body, it should be evident by now. You heard the readings this morning. God has called us to holiness. This is the will of God. What's God's will for your life? 1 Thessalonians says this, your sanctification. So I hope as you've heard us talk on the um, sometimes challenging but always timely topic of sex and marriage and our bodily lives before God, whether married or unmarried, single, divorced, that God wants our hearts. He desires holiness, our sanctification in every part of our lives. Not just when we come and look pious on Sunday mornings and kneel for the confession, but as we offer ourselves unto him, our souls and bodies, as we say in the Eucharistic prayer every week. We come to a covenant renewal ceremony this morning. God has made a covenant with us in Christ by the blood of the cross. He's renewed us. He's redeemed us. He set us free, and now he's called us to live with him in purity. So you may be asking, yes, I've heard all these talks. We've heard about fidelity within marriage, abstinence outside of marriage, before marriage. I get it. But I want to hear the good news. I want to hear the gospel. What does all this have to do with the gospel? Our response, your response, and my response to these messages probably reveals whether or not we have truly grasped the gospel. Why? We've talked about this, but I want you to hear it again. Because in an analogous way, not a direct one-to-one, -one, but in a true um, revelation of God's love, in an analogous way, God's love for us and our response to him reflects the pattern of healthy sexuality within a covenant relationship. Why is this important? Because if you can't accept God's wisdom for your body life, perhaps you have not fully accepted the gospel that he communicates to us in Christ. I gave you a handout, here's how one pastor said it more eloquently than I. Tim Keller says this, God gave himself to us unconditionally in Christ, and he calls us to give ourselves unconditionally to him. God does not offer or ask for intimacy without complete whole life commitment. If you demand intimacy, yet keep control of your life, you are a living contradiction of both the way God relates to you and the way we are to relate to each other in Christian community. This is a quote to, to reflect on because what this is saying is that in our relationships, in our very bodies, we can either reflect the pattern that God has given to us, reflect the pattern of his unconditional love for us, his complete commitment to us in Christ, 
which we then respond to with gratefulness and humble faith and in a like offering of ourselves, or our relational life, our bodily life can muddy the waters and the world, the watching world around us says, I guess these Christians really, they really don't believe in a covenant keeping God because they sure don't keep covenants themselves, right? So I do think that these questions are at the heart of the gospel and as Jesus answered the Pharisees, and, and let me get this straight too, those who are uh, living in, outside of God's pattern but know themselves to be in sin and yet want uh, restoration and forgiveness, as Jesus said, you're closer to the kingdom. And the Pharisees that he answered when they asked him about divorce, he said, it's because of your hard hearts that Moses gave you this, this option. And so God wants to break open our hard hearts this morning. So let's continue to do that together. What's God's will for my life? My sanctification. I worked in college ministry for a number of years, and that was probably the most frequent question I'd get from students as we'd meet together. And just, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life. You know, I'm, I'm reading scripture or I'm, I'm taking, uh, you know, personality inventories and I'm, I'm doing internships and I'm just, I'm trying to figure out God's will. And I have this girlfriend and I'm just trying to figure out what, should I get married or should I take this job or, you know, how can I be successful? What's God's will for my life? And the scriptural teaching, it, it cuts through all those questions and simply says, your sanctification is God's will. God the Father in his love has set up this beautiful playground for us in creation. It has fences like any good playground does. But within that playground, God has given us freedom to love and to serve him. How we feel called and how he's made us. But in the midst of all that, as he loves us and enjoys watching his children play, he wants their maturity. He wants their growth, their sanctification. So what does that mean for our relational lives? Our sanctity, our sanctification, it means holiness. Come, same root word for saint. God wants sanctity for a beloved saint in process. A saint means a holy one. And that means chastity. Now chastity that word has gotten a bad rap, I think. Uh, growing up, when we had sex education or even sex talks in church, we'd talk about purity, right? And that's good, but I don't know if that word is strong enough for what God has called us to. Purity and, and abstinence are very good things, and yet they feel like they're almost a negative quality, right? Abstinence is absence of something. Whereas chastity is something, I think, even stronger. It's power under control. It's self-restraint. It, uh, it doesn't say these things are bad in and of themselves and therefore I'm avoiding them. It says these are good gifts and yet I'm showing restraint and trust in God and it takes all my strength to do so. Okay? So God's called us to chastity in our sexual lives. Now, uh, again, this is a very unpopular, uh, unpopular topic, but we have to get God's perspective on it. I, I have another quote, my, my weekly C.S. Lewis quote, I actually have two from C.S. Lewis, 
on the topic of chastity. He says, chastity is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues. There's no getting away from it. The old Christian rule is either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or else total abstinence. Now, this is so difficult and so contrary to our instincts that obviously either Christianity is wrong or our sexual instinct, as it is now, has gone wrong, one or the other. As Christians, we admit that we are broken. We're not just in need of better thoughts on our marriage and sex. Hey, let's just uh, think positive thoughts and we're going to get our sexual lives under control. No, we say we're broken by the fall. That's why we're here this morning. We need to be remade. Every week we need to come and be immersed in our, in our baptism. We come to the font, font when we walk into the church and we say, I'm baptized in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and I'm made new and I come and receive from the very presence of God in Christ at the table so that I can be made new because we know that our sexual instinct as it is now has been distorted by the fall. I don't think you need me to persuade you of this if you look in your own heart or if you look at the culture around you. But God intends to make you a saint. So how's he going to do this? What's in it for you? Our passage from 1 Thessalonians is so clear this morning. That God, God's will for our lives is our sanctification. And the reason he does this is twofold. One, it's for his glory. Bottom line. And number two, it's also for our good. Not only is chastity God's will for us, and therefore it is to be sought in and of itself, it actually produces good in our lives. I've said this before, but someone has said this to me, it's living in line with our design. If our creator has made us in, in a certain way, he knows the best uh, methods and means for us to live. And so when we live according to his design, we actually receive and cultivate fruit and goodness in our lives. The Thessalonians were new Christians. They had turned from pagan gods, and God had brought them to be his people. They were once not a people, and they are now God's people. And God is saying, I want you to look different from the world around you. And that includes your sexual lives. There was brokenness, not just today, but in the Roman world as well. And if you don't know that, go do some Roman history. Uh, there's some sordid sexual practices that took place in Roman times. And the Christians were set right in the midst of this. And God says, I have given you my Holy Spirit, that you might be my holy people. Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. See, God had put his spirit the spirit of the living God made the Thessalonian Christians a temple of his Holy Spirit. And he says, just as you, my holy temple, will not be desecrated, so my holy people will not be in the midst and the mud of sexual sin. So it's for God's glory. It's also for our good. And you see this in verse 4, where God says that you... Each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this way. 
Has anyone experienced harm done to yourself or to a close friend or someone in your relationship with or someone in your community because of your choices relationally? Something that we just don't think about when we're acting out of our own desires and instincts often. Our age has been called one of emotivism. And so we feel very strongly our emotions and passions, but we often neglect the collateral damage done to others because of our choices that flow from those passions. I feel it. All I know is I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. And we don't, we don't think about others and, and the, the reality that, um, the broken reality that results from our choices. And so Christian, you're called to be different than the world today. Our passage from Proverbs talked about lady folly. And now, uh, ladies, know that the Bible and Proverbs is not anti-woman. In fact, in chapter 1 of Proverbs, wisdom, Sophia herself, that word wisdom is feminine in the Greek and in the Hebrew, I'm not sure, but the word wisdom is, and the concept of wisdom is personified as a woman. So we have lady wisdom and lady folly, and they're set up as two ways, two directions, two paths that we have to follow. And part of our role as Christians and the, the teacher in Proverbs is trying to instruct his children in the way of wisdom. Follow lady wisdom, not lady folly. So hearing and discerning the voice of wisdom is Part of our calling as Christians to look at the world around us and see how has the sexual instinct gone wrong? How can we affirm the goodness and the truth of God's creation, his affirmation of our sexual lives, but then see it redeemed as it was ought and intended to be redeemed? So this might be an exercise in the obvious, but to me it was helpful. Cover up plan B in your hand out there. But is this not the wisdom of our age when it comes to living our lives in, in various stages, right? Plan A. And this, and some, when you just think about it on the surface, it sounds good, right? All right, in your teens, teenagers, this is what the world tells you. Have fun in your teens. Next decade, what does the world say? Make money in your 20s, Right? Not a bad thing to be established in a job, but this is the wisdom that we're hearing. This is the end all. Have fun in your teens. Make money in your 20s. Maybe add an accessory if you feel like it, a spouse or a kid. It's kind of like growing an appendage, right? Add an, add an accessory, a spouse or a kid in your 30s, but only if you can, you know, afford it, right? So make a lot of money in your 20s. Slog through your 40s and 50s. Retire in your 60s. Achieve success, which equals happiness, right? The world's telos, goal, aim, is happiness. And it's that happiness is created or equated with success. Ironically, when you go down this road, you may achieve all the, you may tick all these boxes. I've succeeded. And at the end, I guarantee you, and many can tell you, you won't have that lasting happiness. You won't have that abiding joy, that well-being. 
But what about God's plan? Lady Wisdom. We've heard from Lady Folly. What about Lady Wisdom? I won't read it all. You can see it. It's pretty simple. Follow God or love God in your teens. Follow God in your 20s. Follow God in your 30s. Follow God in your 40s and 50s. Follow God in your 60s and beyond. And what's our end goal? What's our telos, our aim as Christians? I hate to break it to you. Our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence talks about the pursuit of happiness. That's a good, good aim, but it's not the ultimate aim. Our pursuit is holiness. And ironically, amazingly, what does that produce? Happiness. The true happiness. The Bible talks, the, the vision of happiness in the Bible is probably closer to the word blessedness. All right? Makarios is the Greek word. They actually devised the whole ethical system around this concept, eudaimonia in the Greek. And it's the idea that true happiness, blessedness, well-being comes from a well-ordered and virtuous life. Duh. We know that, but we don't follow it. God's wisdom for our life is to pursue him, to follow him, to love him, which produces holiness and ultimately blessedness and well-being in our life. Lady Folly says, bread eaten in secret is sweet. But we know that it turns sour. We all know that in our lives. Let me give you a personal story. The details are a little foggy in some ways, but uh, also crystal clear in others. I believe it was in second grade. Um, had an adjoining classroom. Our teachers kind of would do shared activities at times. And we had an activity in the other classroom. So all the kids were in, in the adjoining classroom. And of course, it was crazy. So we had a cleanup time. We were asked to clean up, I think, you know, one or two or three things. Pick up three things from the floor and throw them away. And as we're all... I'm competitive, I'm scourging around trying to find things under desks. I happen upon a large bag of unopened, fun-sized Snicker bars. Okay? I can see the bag now in my eyes. I was picking up my pieces of, of trash, whatever it was, and I was probably hungry. I usually am hungry, if you know me. And I decided I need one of those Snickers bars right now and I had to open the bag so I'm furtively trying to open this bag of stickers bar under a desk as a second grader I opened the bag I uh, <laughs> I ripped open the stickers bar stuffed it in my mouth it was pleasant but also uh, you know in furtive and secret so I couldn't really enjoy it right and I <clears throat> swallowed it and that was one of my uh, uh, you know, items of trash that I then put in the garbage. What I didn't know after we went back to our class then, what I didn't know was one of uh, my fellow classmates in that other class, it was her birthday that day. And she had brought a bag of fun-sized Snicker bars. And there were enough in that bag, just enough, for each person in her class that day. And so when they handed out these Snickers bars, there was one missing, and there was an investigation launched, <laughs> and uh, in my uh, brokenness and uh, 
and fear and trembling, I confessed that I had stolen the Snicker bar. Now, what does this tell us? <laughs> St. Augustine, actually, in his confessions, is, uh, is a prayerful, is a, a written prayer, autobiographical work. He describes a story of, similar in some ways, of him and his friends um, stealing a large number of pears from a pear tree. And they really weren't hungry. They may have eaten one, but mostly just throwing them to the pigs and stealing the pears for the sake of stealing the pears. Now, I know it seems silly, a Snickers bar story, a pears tree story, but what does this tell us? Our hearts, because of the fall, are in such a place that we desire these things. Yes, they're good desires to eat, to have chocolate, to, to have a, a pear. You know, our sexual desires are good things. But not only that, our real pleasure, as Augustine said, consists or consisted in his case in doing something that was forbidden. The fall, the reality of sin in our lives has warped us in such a way that sex is not only attractive to us because we're made to be sexual beings, but because we know it's forbidden. And we're drawn to it. We need new hearts. We need to be changed. We need to be sanctified. So what's the good news? What's the application? And then how can we, how can we be changed? Well, this is an obvious one, and we'll close here after just a minute. We're in Lent. Traditionally, Christians have engaged in the practice of fasting during Lent. Traditionally, on Wednesdays and Fridays, especially Good Friday, but then all the Fridays during uh, Lent, and often for many Christians throughout the year, were a day of fasting. Wednesdays, I believe because of Ash Wednesday, also um, became a traditional fast day. Uh, Jewish Christians uh, would fast on two other days, and so Christians, I think, wanted, or Jewish followers um, of, of Torah would fast on other days. I think Christians wanted to distinguish themselves also because Jesus obviously died on Friday. So that Wednesdays and Fridays became fast days. And I just want to commend this practice to you. If you're someone who struggles with sins of commission, actively seeking out temptation, there's, for me, not much clearer way to see my folly than when I hear my stomach rumbling and I can say to my stomach, I can acknowledge the good of food and of appetite has a good desire to eat, but I can say to my stomach, you're not my God. I can live life without treating my appetite like a spoiled child and ultimately a false God that I have to give in every time I have a craving, right? At my time and in my way and in my liking. And if we can begin to engage in that practice, 
we're on our way to seeing our sexual desires more accurately. These are God-given, but they're not God. In fact, they're distorted and need discipline. I believe Archbishop Foley's helpful booklet on fasting from his ministry of Word from the Lord is outside in the narthex if you want to pick one of those up. We still have two Wednesdays and two, two Fridays left in Lent to partake in this. Perhaps sexual temptation is not your pet sin. Perhaps sins of omission, maybe there's a, just a general sense of despair and, and frustration in your life. Maybe you need to engage in the practice of celebration in feasting instead of fasting. But either way, I encourage you to, to take time these last two weeks of Lent. If you need to this Sunday, it's a rainy day, I know you've lost an hour of sleep, and maybe you need to take a nap, and that's great. Rest in God's goodness that you can take a nap. Rest from your phones and from your TV screens and enjoy the presence and love of God with your family. Order a meal, have a glass of wine together, and enjoy God's goodness. And if you need to refrain from feasting, Sunday is a feast day in, in the Christian calendar every, every Sunday. But this Wednesday or Friday, I invite you to engage in a discipline of saying, my desires are not my God. You are my God. I desire you more than anything else. And when your stomach is rumbling and when you're tired and laboring even to breathe because you haven't eaten or you're not used to skipping a meal, your heart your heart starts to realize, starts to feel, you know, my true desire, my true home is not for food, is not for sex, it's for God. So what is the will of God for your life? It's your sanctification. I'll end with this quote at the end. The three tenses of salvation. We have been saved from the penalty of sin called justification. We are being saved from the power of sin called sanctification. And we shall be saved from the presence of sin called glorification. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.